Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with a special guest host, Chad Angulum from Medical Advantage, the world of technology and healthcare ever-changing in new and novel ways. And that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest, latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be talking about keys to a thriving and attractive medical practice. And today's episode is sponsored by Medical Advantage, helping providers, health plans, delivery systems, and groups reduce costs and increase the care quality. Learn more about Medical Advantage's Advantages range of services at medicaladvantage.com. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our accounts at TechGuy and the Medical Advantage account at MedADVTDC. Plus, check out our 16 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Chad, I'm excited to have a guest host. I always love guest hosts. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to be here, John. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, well, you have such a depth of experience, but let's dive into the topic today. What are the biggest challenges you see when a medical practice is struggling? Yeah, that's a great question, John, and, and you know, glad to talk a little bit more about that today. So I think one of the biggest things we see in the practices, you know, every single day is they're just struggling to get credit for the work that they're doing, um, whether that means, you know, putting data in a structured format or even, you know, accurately coding, you know, whether it's ICD-10 or even getting into HCC coding. I think a lot of the practices that, that we see are just struggling to, you know, show their power, show that, you know, they're practicing good medicine, they're keeping their patients healthy, but maybe just not getting credit for it. So, uh, you know, I think that's absolutely one thing that, that we see day in and day out. You know, if you think about another thing is just aggregating all the data available now from multiple sources um, in order to make good solid decisions. And, and some of that is, you know, many, many practices are making decisions based on emotions or, you know, past experiences, or I've always done it this way, or when I've seen this in the past, I've done this and we've been really successful. And I just think things are changing. Um, so that, you know, that the data is, is just paramount right now, being able to get data from, you know, your EHR or from your HIEs in your state or from payers, um, or even from things like your call center or, you know, your marketing uh, platform, being able to pair all that data together and make good, solid business decisions. I think, you know, those are two key areas that we're seeing practices every day say, you know, we think we're doing a good job, um, but, you know, we could absolutely use some help. Well, I thought the EHR solved that. Or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was the goal, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, it kind of was. I mean, it was interesting your first point, because when I first wrote about EHRs 16 years ago, we were talking about the EHR giving credit to doctors to be able to reimburse at a higher coding level that they just weren't able to document on a paper chart efficiently and effectively. And so it's funny that you're still talking about doctors trying to get paid for services that they're rendering. I mean, it's like an ongoing problem, but just with a new flavor, right? I mean, I think the EHR has largely solved that problem as far as, you know, some call it upcoding. I call it just coding for the care that you actually provided. But to your point, I see that a lot too, that 
there's a lot of practices that they do the work, but they have trouble on the business side of things. When I look at it, it's the business that they struggle with. It's not the care. I mean, they're all very competent with care. It's pretty rare that I see a practice that's like, no, they provide awful care. (laughs) It's more the business side of things where they struggle. Yeah. So I've been elbow to elbow with physicians for almost 15 years now. And I've very rarely ever sat down with a provider where I'm like, they're struggling to practice good quality medicine. What I typically see is they're cutting corners when it comes to documentation. Mm. Um, They just don't have time. They're getting, you know, they have so many things coming across their desk in the course of a day that they start cutting corners and they just quickly, you know, type something out or quickly verbalize something that goes in a notes field somewhere. And And yeah, maybe the patient hears them and they go on to do what the provider asked them to do, but nobody else in the care continuum understands what happened in that room at that one time. So you're absolutely right. You know, and a lot of the EHRs, they've got a ton of tools, but they're, they're super segmented in, in what, you know, the practice understands how to use and and how it flows within the building. Well, that's the problem is that they don't teach business in med school <laughs> and there's no yeah. room for it. Let's be honest. I mean, we're, we're not going to include business courses in med school. They don't need another semester to learn how to run a practice while they forget everything they learned to actually practice medicine. And so I've actually seen that some of the most effective practices are ones who hire a great practice manager to do the business side. And usually it's as much about process as it is about anything else. And so it's like having someone who cares about the process and how to get reimbursed and how to get paid. And now it's actually even more complex. We used to say how to get paid by the payers. Now we're saying how to get paid by the payers and the patients because so much of the responsibility for patient is now on the, on the patients. And so doctors are going along. They want to provide the best care. They need to stay up to date on all the latest clinical guidelines and, and all that. And then they got to do business on top of it. Well, some of them aren't great business people. That's just speaking frankly. And so then they suffer. So I think that's where it's like, if you don't have the business mind, hiring someone who does and is focused on that. So maybe even some of them have a great mind, but they're just too busy with the clinical care. Uh, you know, that hiring someone to help you with that, I think is a huge uh, benefit to someone. Absolutely. And typically, if you walk into a practice that's managed by a a really solid practice manager, you can ask them at any time, where does your revenue cycle stand? And they'll be able to tell you. They'll be able to pull the reports out and show you exactly what's going on and where the money is. And if they don't, you should fire them, right? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So really understanding where you are um, in your rev cycle process and where where the opportunities are. You know, where can you increase revenue um, is something that when you're walking into the door of a struggling practice, you can always find the money in the rev cycle portion of the business. So yeah, I think great point on the practice manager, a really strong practice manager leads to a really strong practice. A lot of these providers got in to business to practice medicine, not to run a business. Yeah, well, not all practice managers are created equal either. Some of them are right. just, I mean, for lack of a better term, pencil pushers that just want to do your current process versus ones that are ambitious and want to optimize your process. That's a different line of thinking as well. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. So, I mean, I think another element to this is around technology. And uh, again, many doctors don't want to be technology people. They want to practice medicine. So what do you see as kind of the technology's role in making a practice successful today? Can can you have a successful practice without technology? Uh, I don't think so. What do you... (laughs) 
No, I, I think the landscape is so competitive. Um, and honestly, people are busy and COVID has changed expectations of the consumer, of the patient. So, you know, I think the best technology won't do any good if, if the team using it doesn't understand how to use it. And a practice without the best technology is going to struggle. I mean, look at the competition out there. Look at all the private equity investment um, in, in medical right now. I mean, in healthcare. So, you know, a solid technology strategy can make your team more efficient and effective and pairing the right technology with a team that knows how to use it creates a more efficient practice and thus is going to increase revenue. It's going to increase your quality scores. It's going to increase patient satisfaction. I mean, there is so much going on right now in, you know, the world of the digital front door. And a lot of groups are really focused on that right now. You know, the digital transformation, you know, we're kind of in phase one right now with a lot of groups looking at, you know, the, the patient access points. How do you find the practice? Online appointment scheduling, digital provider directories, streamlined call center technologies, digital wayfinding, and even patient intake through like kiosks or portals or just different tools. I mean, we're right kind of at the, the tip of the iceberg there. So it's a, it's a really exciting time using technology in these offices. Yeah. The challenge I see with these offices is that, they just don't have the time to explore what's out there. And so they often need to find a partner that yep. is going to go through the 60 different online appointment scheduling <laughs> options out there and let them know, oh, this one's going to work best for you because you're on Athena EHR and this one integrates nicely with Athena or, you know, hey, your big vision is you want to do ACO care and you want to do value-based care. And so don't just buy an online appointment scheduling product and then a reminder service and then another product to do RPM and another product to do product care management. <laughs> like, let's put a strategy together for you that actually goes across all of those things and let's do it from a strategic standpoint. And many of them are so busy that they don't have time to do that. Right. And so I think it makes sense for a lot of them to reach out to a partner that can help them understand, okay, here's what's best for you because you're on this EHR and because this is your type of patient and it's going to expand with you going forward rather than the knee jerk. Okay. Let me Google digital front door online <laughs> scheduling. And then they just buy whatever Google says, like that's a terrible process. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. And think John, you and I, 10 years ago, it was 400 different EHRs available and practices exactly. putting their hands in the air going, what do I select for my specialty, my practice size? Three years ago, it was care management platforms, 400 more care management platforms. Uh -huh. What's best for my office, for my type of payers, my type of patients? A year ago, it was telehealth, you know, 400 more telehealth platforms, and we're seeing more every <laughs> single day. So there's a lot of pressure on, on these practices to make the right decision and choose a, a technology that integrates and will work for them. So absolutely, that's that's a burden on the shoulders of a lot of, especially these founder-based practices that need to be seeing you know, their full patient base every day and can't spend time looking at all the different technology available and put a strategy in place. So I'd say that's you know, where we're busy every single day is helping them find the right technology for, you know, their business. And that's a great point. Yeah. That's a great service that medical advantage does, you know, because many of them don't want to go through that, even if they have the time, <laughs> like, right. no, they'd rather be at their kids, uh, you know, T-ball game than they would 
searching out the latest online scheduling platform, which it totally makes sense. Uh, I actually stopped blogging about EHR because I was like, if I'm a doctor, I want to be at my kid's T-ball game. I don't want to be researching EHR. Uh, and so I, I understand that emotion. I think the challenge is what you said, though, is that if they don't do this, it's going to be a problem because all of these private equity firms, they're doing it, Right. Walmart's doing it. All these other retail ones, Amazon Care, they're doing it. And so if your practice doesn't do that, what's that going to mean a few years from now? That That's a scary proposition. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Competition's doing it every single day and they're getting better and more efficient, and more effective, and that's raising the bar for you. So um, it's it's definitely something time has to be spent on it. Again, a lot of times you see, we, we mentioned it earlier, a really strong practice manager, um, you know, can step up in a lot of cases and reach out to other groups similar to yours, um, you know, reach out to different, um, you know, whether it's associations or groups or, or even consulting companies and say, you know, this is what we have. What do you recommend for us? You know, let somebody else do a lot of that research and work and make recommendations based on experience. Um, and, and you can be a lot more successful. I mean, we've put surveys out for groups on burnout and a lot of the burnout isn't even the actual documentation and sitting in front of the EHR. It's absolutely mentioned, but a lot of it is finding that technology and getting it going. Um, so much of the technology that that's been purchased just gets shelved. You know, it gets put put on a shelf because the either the integration isn't there or implementation is just done so poorly that they don't adopt it. And and you know, there's so much turnover in healthcare too right now that ongoing training becomes so important. And if you lose the the, the team that was trained on the software or the different add-on, um, you know, you, you lose a lot and it, it stopped being used. So um, yeah, it's technology is what's driving healthcare. And that's why you see so much investment because these private equity groups see it as an opportunity. You know, we have the capital to invest in the best of the best and we can turn these practices around and make them more efficient. So, um, you know, great point. Yeah. And I love the idea of peer sharing, uh, whether it's commiseration or <laughs> whether it's learning or understanding that can save you a lot of time. That's great. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lynn and guest host Chad Angulum. Today, we are talking about medical practices and what it takes to make them thrive. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Medical Advantage. If your medical organization is seeking ways to reduce costs, increase care quality, and stay viable amidst the shift to value-based care, Medical Advantage can help. Their consultants have been in the industry themselves, and they work alongside healthcare professionals, both virtually and at the point of care, to improve clinical and financial outcomes. EHR optimization, analytics and dashboard solutions, practice marketing consulting, and more are just some of the many service lines in their broad and ever-expanding portfolio. Find out more about how Medical Advantages consultants can help your organization at medicaladvantage.com. Well, let's shift gears a little, Chad, and, and talk about marketing. I think it was interesting uh, as we were preparing to record this, uh, this episode, it's interesting to think how important marketing has become to a medical practice. What do you see as really the keys to successfully marketing a medical practice? Yeah, super important. You know, two, three years ago, we didn't get that much into marketing uh, when we were meeting with offices. It wasn't something they were looking for help 
with. And then, you know, fast forward to a year and a half ago, and we started getting asked about it. Like, I want to grow, I want to expand, I want to grow my patient base, I want to find the right patients. How do I do that? We ended up buying a practice marketing company, John, in April, just to meet the demand of our client base. So, you know, when, when you're looking at marketing, you know, that is something that has immediate ROI. So, you know, it's, it's really important to our clients that they get it right. And, you know, some things we look at is really a state-of-the-art mobile-friendly website. Um, we want features for secure interaction. We were talking about that earlier. Um, online appointments, bill pay, and patient education. You know, ensuring that visibility online through organic SEO, um, which includes both on and off page techniques. Um, that's blogging, you know, your content generation, and even really a robust directory participation. Um, monitoring and proactive management on your online reviews and reputation. I, great story here. My wife was just um, referred to a new PCP by her, by one of her specialists. And uh-huh. in the past, that, you know, that's gold, a referral, yeah. you know, go see this doctor. Well, what she did is she went online and looked at the reviews and they only had 13 reviews, John, but they were all negative. And she said, I'm not going there. So think (laughs) about that, like only 13 (laughs) reviews. And typically who's going to make a review if you aren't asking for them is somebody with negative reviews. Um, You know, they had a bad experience, something happened, you know, they got in the bathroom and the, the paper towel wasn't full. I mean, it could be that minimal, but if you aren't asking for reviews, you're going to be in that situation. She ended up going somewhere else because they had better reviews. So, you know, that's just one, that's one great example, but, you know, constant interaction with patients via your social media channels, everyone's on social media now, everyone is looking for interaction. Um, So, you know, even lastly, targeted ad campaigns to attract patients and ensure your, your Mm. qualified traffic to your page, you know, you know, Google with Facebook, there's so much out there now where you can really target patients looking for your services, the patients you want in your door. Um, There's a lot of tools and tricks. So those are just a couple of the points. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to if I search for you online and your website's not updated, you're not active on some social channel. Does I look at that and I say, okay, where else aren't you doing something? Right. So it's not fair. It's not fair at all to the practice because you might be great at clinical care and do nothing on social media or nothing on your reviews. But in my mind, I'm going to say, well, if you're not taking care of your business side of things, are you not taking care of the clinical side of things? And that's a problem, right? Like if a patient thinks that that's, you know, cause we don't know how to evaluate how good of a clinical practice you are, what your quality is, but I can evaluate what your personality is and do you stay on top of things and are you cutting edge and are you providing me the experience that I want? And so I think that's the challenge and you, you kind of glossed over it, but it's funny that the technology aspects are some of the best marketing which I don't think most people think about that as marketing, but the fact that you implement a digital front door that informs me that there's 10 people in front of me in line. And so I can go get a Starbucks before I come into the office. Cause I know I'm waiting like that creates an amazing experience that then people share. And of course, word of mouth is still the number one source for marketing and healthcare. Absolutely. Yeah. Great points. I mean, the consumers changed a ton. Um, and, and marketing can get you in front of the right patients, um, you know, in the right geography. If you're looking, we talked expansion earlier. If you're looking to expand your practice, I mean, what better way than to take some data and analytics and pair it with marketing and start to 
you know, target patients that you want to get in your door. And the, the technology is available now to do that. And then start to, you know, show some of your shining stars within your practice, some of the things that you do differently um, that make, you know, the patient visit that much more efficient and effective. I mean, no longer are patients satisfied coming and staying in a waiting room anymore. Like you said, they want to be notified when they're next up and what they have time to do, you know, in the meantime. So great points. Yeah. I was working with a a company, Care Cognitics. Uh, I do a bunch of work with them, part owner, but uh, they were working on doing the review stuff. And it was fascinating because all they did was ask for reviews. And and it's amazing the response patients did, because to your point, most of the time, the only people who review are people that hate you, (laughs) that are mad at you, that had a bad experience, right? And so just asking all of those that had a good experience to review increases the number of good reviews and shows the reality, which is actually a closer to the reality of what it is. But they had an interesting side benefit that was totally unexpected was the impact on the staff. Because they requested all these good reviews, the staff got to hear all these great things. Oh, the nurse was great and I loved her. She was such, she was so caring and thoughtful. And now your nurse hears that and their nurse is like, oh, I'm not so bad, right? Like when they read through those 13 reviews and all they see is bad, they're like, oh, am I not a good nurse? Or am I not doing a good job? But when you invite good reviews, it helps with staff morale too, which is, I mean, it's interesting. It's not really a marketing thing. Although if your staff has better morale, your patients are going to have a better experience and that helps marketing as well. So I think that's a powerful thing with marketing also. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, it's all about creating positive awareness and visibility for the practice and then giving them a way to interact with you. So Yep. And and I I think many of them just took it for granted. I mean, to your point, they weren't thinking about marketing years ago, but now the competitive pressures are kind of requiring people and practices to have to market their organization. Yeah. It used to be the payers were assigning you patients. Now they're taking (laughs) your patients away. (laughs) You know, now they're starting to set up their own, their own practices. So it's, it's quite a bit different than it used to be. Yeah. So let's uh, kind of wrap up with this other thought, you know, there's private equity has been moving in. Many practices maybe are looking at trying to be acquired by private equity, right? Maybe that's where they see it headed and they're trying to think, okay, what should I do for my practice to make it attractive to private equity or, or maybe it's even a health system or someone that might want to acquire them? What, what, any ideas on, on what you think people could do to kind of increase the value of their practice? Yeah, great point. And whether you're looking at, you know, being acquired or not, it's, it's never too early to get prepared. Um, And a lot of times we hear the same thing over and over. And we talked about it earlier, physicians are getting into medicine to help people and you get down the line and you become a business owner. And then you see all the competition and maybe you're at where you're at a point in your career where you're like, you know, I, I want out of this part of it. Again, I just, I want access to better technology. I want access to a prettier building. I want access to all these different capabilities, um, but I don't have the capital to do it. So a lot of practices are coming to us now saying, help us, help us grow, help us prepare for expansion, whether that's through investment or or organically. So we're seeing things like an investment in new technology. And we mentioned earlier, a lot of the small practices don't have time for that, or they don't have the money for that. Um, But we're looking at, you know, telehealth, we're looking at remote patient monitoring, things that you can add on to your practice that don't, you know, 
rely on a ton of capital up front in order to do it. So you're starting to reach new patients. You're investing in data and analytics platforms to be able to find patients that need your care. You know, it might just be might just be marketing to patients 20 minutes down the road that you never marketed to before, um, that you now have access to because of different, you know, geo tracking and different marketing opportunities out there. Um, you know, it's it's adding new services that maybe you hadn't added in the past. Maybe it's bringing on some mid levels um, that you had never thought of. Um, maybe it's even reviewing your contracts with your payers. Maybe it's been a while, um, and you start to meet with your payers or look at different physician organizations. Um, there's a lot of ways to, you know, expand revenue quickly by just doing a revamp of, of how you've always done it. Yeah, I'd probably take a, a different approach to this question and, and this topic. And that's really, look at it from the acquirer's standpoint. And some of people look at it and say, well, if my practice is being effective now, and it's inefficient, that they'll look at it and say, oh, we can make it more efficient. That's true. And, and, but what's going to happen if you do that is you're going to get a much lower price. Whereas if you've already optimized and made your practice more efficient, whether it's revenue cycle, whether it's how you get patients through the door and how effectively you work with them, whether it's the type of patients that you're getting, like those things matter to acquirers. And if you've already done that legwork and if you've shown that you can get the right patients through the door that have good margins and that need the care and that lower the cost of care for, you know, an ACO or, you know, if you're, if you're part of one or something like that, that's really attractive to an acquiring organization. And you'll get a higher premium if you've already done that legwork before. Can you sell if you're inefficient? Yeah, probably, right? There's still some options there, but you're not going to get paid the same amount if you haven't done the legwork to actually make sure that your practice is running efficiently and that you're attracting the right patients that are, that are valuable and create good business outcomes as well. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of these groups are looking at a, you know, a, a multiplier of revenue. Um, and I hear it over and over and over again, where it's like, you know, we're not that efficient, but they'll come in and make us more efficient. So, you know, they'll see a lot of opportunity, which will up our value. And trust me, it is never that way. You're absolutely right. So these groups are looking for practices that they can quickly onboard and bring them into their portfolio. And, you know, they can act as the other groups in their portfolio are acting. And in order to do that, you have to be efficient. Um, so they are looking for a well-run practice. A lot of times they want the founder to stay on for three, four plus years um, in order to keep the momentum going. And they're, they're looking for practices that are, you know, producing good revenue and have the momentum, have the patience, have the contracts in place um, in order to, to be successful. They don't want to come in and have to completely revamp a practice. And a lot of times these investors, they don't have the experience in healthcare to do that. They don't have the team to do that. So I think that's a, a big misconception is they're going to come in and have, you know, the SEAL team drop down and they're all going to come <laughs> out of helicopters and they're going to fix everything and make you 10 times more productive. It's just not true. I mean, they're bringing in the capital in order to make some good, solid business decisions. Um, but ultimately, they're looking for groups that are ready to go and, and ready to jump on the ship and, and move in the same direction as the rest of the team. So um, no, you're absolutely right. Awesome, Chad. And I love your comment about passive income. That's a great one. 
Well, thanks everyone for listening and appreciate you for tuning in into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. And I want to thank Medical Advantage for sponsoring today's episode. You can learn more about Medical Advantage and their service and technology healthcare solutions at medicaladvantage.com. And to find more details about our show, check out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com and share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm John Lynn with my special guest host, Chad Angulum. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.